Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. We're going to dive right into Scripture. Um, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and onward, as well as Matthew 16, 24 and 25. The Scripture says this, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning, for waking us up, for giving us life, Lord, for another opportunity, Lord, to follow you, Lord, in this world and to make a difference and to glorify you. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Would you give us hearts that are soft, that are tender to your voice. We want to hear you speak to us. The Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Reveal him. Transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was going down a trip, trip down memory lane, and I remembered something that was like a profound feature of my young life, and perhaps very likely it was a profound feature of yours. And by profound, I might be selling it a bit much. What I mean really is that it showed up frequently in our young lives, um, and that is public assemblies. Do you all remember that in school where there was a break in your school day and everyone was ushered into a large auditorium and there was something hopefully informative? Um, it, most of the time in my school settings, it was chaotic. Um, but really, as I got older and I kind of pulled the curtains back on what they were trying to do, what was the man trying to do to us at that moment, I realized that public assemblies in many ways were just a way to just, like, keep the kids somewhat distracted. Um, it, 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 there, you didn't walk away from most public assemblies. I could count on one hand the public assemblies I remember where it was informative to the degree that I carried the message with me. Most of the time, it was, there was no way to know what was shared if it was actually making a difference. And I remember the difference between the public assembly space and the classroom. How many teachers do we have in the room? We have a couple in our church. We have, look at, look at the brave folks here. Uh, let's give a hand for our teachers, our educators. There's a big difference between what happens in that assembly hall versus what happens in the classroom. See, in the classroom, there's an expectation 
that what's taught will be ingrained. It'll be, become part of the student's life. It'll, be, it'll change their thinking. It'll help them grow. And I thought about that framework quite a bit as I've been praying for our church during these 21 days. It's an ongoing daily prayer, lifting all of you up in prayer. And I've thought about what difference it is when people's expectations of following Jesus is more like being an audience member for Jesus versus being an apprentice of Jesus. There's a big difference. If our perspective of following Jesus is being in an assembly and being presented some things and there is no expectation that what we've been presented that we actually have to apply versus actually being in a setting where, where you're given something and there's an expectation that this needs to show up in your life that you need to process this. It needs to become part of your rhythm. And I'm making a very big assumption here that in the midst of the cold weather, in the midst of having the option uh, to, to not show up, um, in the midst of this crazy season of life, the fact that you're still engaging online, that you're here in the room, that you're wanting to stay connected, the assumption is that I'm making is that you don't want to be an audience member for Jesus that you actually want to be an apprentice, that you want to learn how to follow him, that you want to understand his ways, that you want to be his student, and you want to apply what he's teaching us. And based on that assumption, I realize that in this series, there are disciplines that we're not going to get into by virtue of just not having enough time, because there's exhaustive spiritual disciplines that we could get into. But here's another thing that I've been processing quite a bit. Preachers often, myself included, churches often think that just because we preach something, that that means people are going to apply it. If that was the case, we would have been far more loving a long time ago. We would have been far more serving and generous and community-minded. Just because we talk about something or have been presented kind of public assembly doesn't mean it gets ingrained in us. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you the, the, a, a secret. This is free of charge, but this will change your life. After this sermon series is done, you and I should continue to pursue practicing spiritual disciplines. And because this sermon series will not be exhaustive in covering all of them, but even if we were exhaustive, because we're not trying to create an audience for Jesus, but we actually want to create apprentices of Jesus. Here's the secret I'm going to give you. We could put it on the screen. There's a phenomenal book, a classic in Christian spiritual disciplines literature called Spiritual Disciplines by Richard Foster. If you're serious about being an apprentice of Jesus, not just being presented information in a kind of public assembly format, but really following him, here's the secret I'm going to give you. Buy this book and gather a few people from this church or trusted friends, even if they don't go to this church, but that they follow Jesus, and say, hey, let's read this book together. And when we read it, let's apply the disciplines together. If you did that, over a matter of time, you would go from knowing things about Jesus to actually personally, intimately having disciplines that keep you focused on having an intentional relationship with Jesus become part of your life. 
Our intention here, we don't want to build an audience for Jesus. We want to train apprentices for Jesus. We want you to not just talk about prayer, but that actually prayer becomes a vibrant part of your life. To not just talk about Bible study, but actually studying Scripture becomes a part of your life. To not talk about fasting, but actually fasting becomes a part of your life. But here's what I'm going to focus our message today on. Assuming that after this series, you are intentional, that you want to be intentional to be that apprentice of Jesus, that you want to incorporate this into your life, what I'm going to talk about today is, is essentially the fuel that you and I will need in order to practice spiritual disciplines for the long haul in a way that will keep these practices transformative and beneficial for you. How many would like to get some information on that? And some you say, yeah, I need some, I, I'm, I'm intentional, I want to practice it. Can we get some tools to help us do this for the long haul? If that's where you're at, let's go to this sermon. The first crucial tool that you and I need to practice spiritual disciplines for the long haul, the fuel that we'll need to keep our, our walk with Jesus front and center into our life, the motivation we'll need when things are not easy is the cross of Jesus. You say, Chris, that's super obvious. Really, that's what we're talking about. I, I've been there. I've done that. I, I believe that. But actually, that's part of the problem, and that's why I'm bringing up the necessity of the cross of Jesus being one of the first and foremost tools that we need to deeply ingrain in our life because so often we treat the cross of Jesus as if it's the ABCs of the faith. It's like the thing that you first have to learn, and then as you mature, you grow past it. And you kind of put that in a, in a shelf somewhere. But actually, the cross of Jesus is not the ABCs of the faith. It is everything. It's ingrained in every single step of an apprentice's life as they're following Jesus. And it's an amazing thing to consider that the cross was an instrument of torture that was devised by the Romans. It was one of the most uh, uh, just insane instruments of torture that, were de that was developed in history. It was designed not just to brutally murder somebody, but to do so in a way that the punishment was excruciating physically, but it heaped on the victim intense shame. They were crucified naked, publicly, for everyone to see. So they didn't want to just give you excruciating pain in your last moments out of this life, but they wanted your legacy in everybody's mind to be one of enduring shame, where you were remembered in this kind of vile way. Yet in the goodness of God, what does Jesus do? He redeems this instrument of torture. Our God is often in the business of redeeming things and repurposing things that the world intended for destruction, and God reverses it. And now the cross is a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of transformation. Because what happens in the cross, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, and why the cross 
becomes such a crucial fuel for enduring spiritual disciplines is because what we read that Paul says, on the cross, what was happening at that moment was more than just Jesus being physically tortured. What was happening at that moment, it says that God was not counting people's sins against them. Because what was happening there was what theologians call double imputation, where our sins were being imputed onto Jesus, and ultimately his righteousness was being imputed to humanity. That now by faith in what he has done, we no longer have to be identified by our sins, what's been done to us, what we've been done. We actually can walk in robes of righteousness. If this ever becomes a truth that we shelve as basic, as I've grown past it, we're missing the point. We will never grow past God's redemptive work on the cross. We will need it every single moment of our apprenticeship of Jesus. That's the first crucial tool. If you and I are going to have a vibrant, intentional relationship with Jesus over the long haul, the cross has to be our primary motivation. It has to be what moves us. It has to be our fuel. It has to be our focus. And it's so central that the reality is that every human being that you meet is either resisting the cross or receiving it. It's that foundational. It's that much of a line drawn in the sand. It was, it, what Jesus did was intended for the whole world, not just for Christians. And so we are either receiving the implications of it and letting that fuel us and change us or we're resisting it. But if you and I want to be intentional to have a vibrant relationship with God, we have to intentionally receive the reality, the truth, the transformational power that's conveyed to us through the cross. That's the first tool. The second tool is also a cross. But this cross is not Jesus' cross. This cross is the disciples' cross. We read that Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. See, when the scriptures talk about following Jesus, it's interesting how Jesus frames it. Jesus is very explicit up front. He lets us know that to follow him is going to feel like picking up a cross. How exciting, right? <laughs> but I actually really appreciate and love that about Jesus, that he doesn't sugarcoat. Jesus is not interested in getting people to follow him at the expense of being truthful with us. He wants us to follow him, but he's, he's laying the cards out on the table. No bait and switch. He's letting us know, follow me. But in order to do so, it's going to require denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following me. And why is that? Because, again, Jesus came to make apprentices, students, keen observers of his life, people that learned from him and applied how he lived. And in the process of that, there is a great deal of discomfort. 
There's a great deal of sacrifice. And the sacrifice of being a disciple will never feel worth it until the sacrifice of Jesus becomes ultimately beautiful for us. We need both crosses. But the problem is, our tendency, and this again, this is long-term thinking, fuel for the journey. Our tendency is that we tend to pick up one cross or the other. We tend to not pick up both crosses. And what does that look like? When people pick up the disciples' cross, the cross of self-denial, of discipline, of sacrifice, but don't pick up the cross of Jesus, what that tends to create is moralistic Christians. That tends to create in followers of Jesus this attitude where we are trying to earn our place at God's table. We are trying to be deserving and worthy. And so all of our efforts are driving at feeling good enough in the eyes of God. Can I tell you that's exhausting and you'll never feel good enough. And actually, if you do feel good enough, for the rest of us, you're going to be insufferable because you're probably going to be so arrogant. Because if you actually feel like you're worthy and good enough, it's going to be hard for you to look at other people that are not trying as hard as you and look at them with the same deal of respect. So when you're, when you're on this moralistic journey, you're either going to be in one extreme or the other. You're either going to be constantly in despair because you're never going to meet the standard or you're going to become incredibly arrogant because you feel like you're meeting the standard and no one else is. That's what happens when we pick up our cross and following Jesus is all about our discipline, our sacrifice, and we don't pick up his cross. But what happens when we pick up the cross of Jesus and don't pick up the disciples' cross? Something different happens. What happens then is that we reduce the grace of God to what Bonhoeffer talked about, to be cheap grace. When you pick up the cross of Jesus and not the disciples' cross, you remind yourself that God is gracious, that you can't earn your place at God's table, but because you do nothing with that grace, it doesn't lead to obedience. Eventually, we become very comfortable with sin we justify things that clearly God says we should resist and not practice and not make part of our life. And we cease to see the immeasurable worth of the cross of Jesus. But what happens when we pick up both? Something amazing happens. And, and in this series where we've been talking about spiritual disciplines, to be clear... The reason why we're talking about spiritual disciplines and why we want you all to engage in these disciplines, not just now during this series, but for the long haul, as you and I become more and more apprentices of Jesus, is because spiritual disciplines, essentially what they do is they help us pick up our cross as disciples in order that we may gaze upon the cross of Jesus. Prayer won't transform you unless prayer helps you see Jesus more. Fasting won't transform you unless fasting helps you see the cross of Jesus more. We need to pick up both crosses 
even though Jesus' cross is the only one that could save us, let's be clear, nothing that we do will ever pay for our sins, will ever justify us in the sight of God. Only Jesus has accomplished that. Only his cross can save us, but unless we also pick up the disciples' cross, we won't experience deep transformation. We will reduce the Christian faith to a private belief that never translates into a lifestyle of change. But again, if you only pick up the disciples' cross without first receiving Jesus' cross, you will be powerless to try to practice spiritual disciplines. Can, can we be honest and say that waking up early in the morning to set aside time to pray before your day starts is hard? To keep up with a Bible study plan is incredibly hard. To commit to fasting and prayer. During this fasting and prayer season, my Lord, everybody wants to meet up for dinner, for coffee, for this. Like, get thee away from me. You know, like, it, it, it's hard. To practice silence and solitude in our noisy, busy world, it's difficult. It's a cross to pick up. It requires denial. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to say to friends or outings and say, not tonight. I'm going to go pray. Even if you don't say that or publicize that, but knowing I'm going to forsake these things just to be with Jesus. It's hard and difficult. But if the cross of Jesus is our fuel, then picking up the disciples' cross will be possible. But can we settle? I'm, I'm talking to you as people that I hope we are following Jesus for the rest of our lives. And I imagine us one day gray and old and sitting by fire somewhere and talking about our lifelong journey of following Jesus. Let's be very clear, as Jesus was, spiritual disciplines involve discomfort. Because to follow Jesus, to pick up our cross, means that we deny ourselves. And again, if this is how Jesus describes following him, let's be very clear that a big central move or habit that he's trying to form in us is the constant resistance against comfort. For some of us, our greatest spiritual enemy is not adversity, it's not sickness, it's not financial trouble, it's not people rejecting us, it's comfort. It's the overwhelming pull of comfort. And here Jesus is saying, follow me. And the difficulty in saying yes is because it involves discomfort. But if we're going to pick up the cross of Jesus, fully embrace it, we have to pick up the disciples' cross, which means we have to embrace a lifelong journey of resisting comfort for the sake of following Jesus. My hope and true prayer for us as a church is that we would not be an audience for Jesus. Audiences. How many have ever gone to a Broadway show? 
Didn't we miss the shows when they, when they weren't around and we couldn't go to them? And now they're struggling to stay open and people are excited to go back. But what happens at a Broadway show? People go and watch professionals perform on a stage. And it's captivating. Because these are people that, are, that have honed their craft over their lifetime. They could sing in ways that average people didn't even know was imaginable. And they could do that while they're dancing and spinning. Have you ever tried to, like, talk and walk fast? It, it, it's a feat. <laughs> it's, it's an accomplishment. It's like, slow down, man. I'm trying to share something deep, and I'm about to catch asthma. Stop. These folks are full speed doing all these amazing, impressive things, singing, being hoisted across stages. It's amazing to watch professionals do what professionals do. And I fear that for many, Christianity has been reduced to an audience experience where we show up and we watch professionals lead us in worship. Professionals teach Scripture. Professionals teach our kids. And we never get our hands dirty as apprentices. Jesus is calling us to be apprentices who pick up their cross, deny themselves, and follow their master. Says, Jesus, teach me how to be loving like you. Teach me how to be gracious like you. Teach me how to build community with people that are not like me the way you did. Teach me how to live a naturally supernatural life the way you did. We have to pick up both crosses to become a full apprentice of Jesus. There's a saying that the ancient rabbis used to say it was derived as people followed their rabbis. And the saying was, let the dust from my rabbi's feet fall upon me. And what that saying conjured up this image of when someone followed their rabbi, they followed them so closely as, if they, as they were walking down these dusty Jerusalem roads. They said, I want to follow my rabbi so closely that any dust that comes up as they're taking steps, I'm close enough for it to fall on me. Jesus is calling us to follow him that closely. If Sunday mornings is your only sense of closeness to Jesus, we are being robbed of the joy of, of, of fellowshipping with Jesus throughout our day. You can have moments with Jesus while you're in the supermarket. You can have moments with Jesus while you're having your commute. You can have moments with Jesus during difficult conversations, and you can check in with him and, and, and focus and not react and be present with him. You could have moments with Jesus throughout all the moments of our day. That's what a life of apprenticeship sets us up for. And so if you're going to long-term practice spiritual disciplines, let's be clear, their merit, their, their benefit to us is if they help us to focus on the cross. 
as we pick up our cross. You see, because the goodness of God is that we don't deny ourselves so that we become more appealing to God. Actually, Jesus has made us fully appealing to God. His sacrifice, his righteousness is imputed to us. And because of that, we are empowered to deny ourselves, not to earn our place at God's table, but because we've been given a free place at his table that we can't earn, that we don't deserve. The power of picking up both crosses and following Jesus is that you will live a grace-filled, Jesus-centered life that leads to obedience, to outward obedience, and leads you to lifestyle transformation, to change in our habits and our rhythms. We got one more sermon in this series, and I'm excited for next week. But before we conclude this series, I really felt it was important to just pause and punctuate the reality of what it looks like if you're going to practice spiritual disciplines over the long haul, and if you're going to engage in some of the disciplines that we're not getting into in this series, how you could do it, but more so the fuel that we need for the long-term transformation that apprentices are invited into. Could I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? And as we respond in these next moments, the prayer team will be in the back to my left and your right. And at any given moment during these next few moments that you need prayer for anything you're facing, anything that's come up for you during the sermon, anything, quite literally anything, they would love to pray with you. But at this time, could I invite us, could we raise our hands in the presence of God as an outward sign of an inner posture, of, of one of surrender, of receiving, of not holding back, of not hiding anything, and with our hands raised, could we begin to approach the throne of God and ask Jesus to help us to pick up his cross, but to also pick up our cross. Lord, as we fast, as we pray, as we practice solitude and silence, we reflect on scripture during this season. All of it is for nothing if it doesn't help us see you and be with you. But Lord, thank you for the clarity that in order to practice these disciplines, we will face discomfort. It will not be easy. Thank you for not sugarcoating that. So Lord, in the season of discomfort, of reprioritizing our rhythms in order to be an apprentice of you. Lord, would you be with us? Bring renewal and refreshing and restoration to everyone here in their walk with you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's worship God.